you now. I assume that your Bibles would automatically uh, flip open to to that book as we have been now for over a year in the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 24, verses 22 through 27. Please hear the word of God. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribute, comes, or when he comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, uh, or who was Jewish. Uh, And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcus Festus and Desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have opened your word and now um, seek to to hear from you, I ask that uh, you would be present. Be our teacher. Help me as I proclaim your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a lot of preaching and teaching that is passed off as the gospel, when in reality it is not. Uh, And what is so damaging is that the false gospels that are out there have a whole lot of truth mixed in. Oftentimes there is very little error and a whole lot of truth, and these can be the most damaging of all. For instance, you might have a half-truth presented as the genuine gospel, but a half-truth, when it is posing as the whole truth, is a complete untruth. I tried to resist putting this in, well, I did resist putting it in my, my notes, but but it's still rattling around in my head and therefore it's coming out of my mouth. And, uh, and uh, I'll regret it when I get home. But uh, being the father of four children, I have heard so many times a, a tale or a story that has some truth in it, sometimes a lot of truth, but it's not the whole truth. And... When we press down and find out it's not the whole truth, they think that there should be some mercy given because there's some partial truth. When, in my way of thinking, uh, to use the truth to embolden a lie is to uh, make the matter even worse. So a half-truth posing as the whole truth is a complete untruth. So, for example, uh, 
it is common to hear someone uh, proclaim that the gospel means believing in Jesus. And that's very true. But if it's presented as the whole gospel, then it becomes false. Giving mental assent to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is part of the response that we should give to Jesus. But that mental assent must also, if it's going to be the whole gospel, must embrace Jesus Christ rather than simply some facts about Him. That belief in Him, if it is going to be true faith, that belief must cause us to flee to the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly and unreservedly. It must embrace Him as Lord as well as Savior and must result in us fleeing from our sin and fleeing to Him alone. Another example of a half-truth posing as a whole truth is this whole issue of making a public profession of faith. It's biblical to make a public profession of faith. That's what you do when you receive the sacrament of baptism. That's what you do when you publicly stand before the church and uh, join the church. Um, You are making a public profession of faith. But it includes more than that. It means that you walk with the Lord Jesus in your workplace and in your neighborhood just as you would here on these grounds on Sunday morning. Um, This idea of making a public profession has grown into something that is completely foreign to the Scriptures. Um, There's this idea that a public profession of faith can only be done at the end of the service, after the preaching, and uh, in the church that I grew up in, it was always after several um, verses of just as I am. You come down the aisle with every head bowed, every eye closed, and when you get down to the aisle, the pastor meets you there, uh, leads you in the sinner's prayer, and tells you that you have become a Christian. Well, you know what? That pastor does not know whether you have become a Christian or not. Um, And here's the danger with that view. People take this experience of walking down the aisle and praying with the pastor, they take this experience as their get-into-heaven-free card. They have this experience. On this particular day, I walked an aisle, I prayed, made the prayer, the pastor told me that I was a Christian, I get to get into heaven. They've done their part, and then they can go back to living their lives however they want to. And when they get to heaven, they're going to point to that day and that hour in which they walk the aisle as their justification for God letting them into heaven. And I am afraid that they will find, as John Bunyan says in his um, book, The Pilgrim's Progress, that there is an entrance to hell right at the gate of heaven. 
uh, this is a bit of an emotional issue for me because I walked an aisle when I was in 10th grade. The pastor prayed with me, told me I had become a Christian, and then he went as far as to say that I should never doubt um, my, my, my salvation because the devil would try and convince me that I was not a Christian. That was in 10th grade. God spent the next three years trying to convince me that I was not a Christian. Telling me over and over again that I was not a Christian. Because my lifestyle was preaching that I was not a Christian. But I would not listen. Now, am I being unfair? Am I preaching an untruth by disparaging these untruths? Well, listen to the Scriptures and judge for yourselves. In regard to the half-truth of simply giving mental assent to Jesus, listen to the book of James. James says in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith by... I'm sorry, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know what I tell someone when they say that they believe in God or they believe in Jesus and their lifestyle in no way whatsoever matches that confession? I tell them that, uh, well, you believe in Jesus? You believe in God? That's good. You are now qualified to be a demon. (laughs) Because even the demons believe and shudder. In regard to this business of making a public profession... Um, and that being the whole gospel, walking the aisle, praying the prayer, and whatever. Uh, listen to Jesus in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. And he is talking to people who are making a public profession of faith in him. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. It's not that they knew him when they made this public profession and lost their faith later. Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. When we talk about the gospel, we are talking about here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. When we talk about the gospel as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, what we mean by that is that the gospel embraces the entirety of our Christian faith. Every aspect of our Christian faith is embraced by the gospel. And so it's impossible to include every aspect of the gospel every Sunday. Uh, That's why it's our practice to preach through whole books of the Bible. And so we're preaching through the book of Acts. Because we know that in preaching through, uh, straight through the scriptures, 
that we will hit um, the many facets of the gospel. Some weeks we will emphasize faith. Other other uh, weeks we'll emphasize uh, repentance. Other weeks we'll em- we'll emphasize faithfulness to God. Other times we might emphasize the judgment. Other times we might emphasize obedience. Other Sundays we might emphasize love. All these are simply the many facets of the gospel, and there are many more facets of the gospel. But one thing that we will always, every Sunday, without fail, whether it be from the pulpit, whether it be in our Sunday school classes, both for the adults and the children, whether it be on Wednesday night or Saturday morning, every time we gather together and we open God's Word, we are going to include Jesus Christ. He is the substance of the gospel. We agree with the Apostle Paul when he told the the Corinthians, we aim to preach nothing other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is the substance of the gospel. And I point out all this to say that Paul emphasized different aspects or different facets of the gospel in our text this morning. Um, and it's a little different outline, gospel outline, than we hear him preaching. He talks about righteousness. He talks about self-control. He talks about the coming judgment. This is the outline of his preaching as he stood before Festus and Drusilla. And, um, but in so doing, he is proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. So then it, it, it calls me to ask the question, and I raise it now to you. Why does he depart from his typical outline? And I believe it has to do with his audience. His audience particularly being uh, Felix and Drusilla. Felix was a brutal ruler. He was so cruel that Rome ended up having to remove him and recalling him back to Rome. Now, Rome was not a particularly um, gentle government. uh, And they certainly did not... um, did not mind being severe and cruel toward the Jews, but Felix, um, his cruelty toward them was even worse. Um, the, The Roman historian Tacitus said, Felix exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. Felix also, um, was a very greedy man. And he had been married twice, but there was another man who, another king of a smaller country, I can't remember the name of the country right offhand, uh, but he had a very young wife, she was 16, 17 years old, and very beautiful. He decided she needed to be his wife, and he essentially stole uh, Drusilla uh, from from this this man and and uh, she was no righteous person either. In fact, uh, the historians uh, tell us that she was also very greedy and cruel. Uh, and both of them, well, they they both had a reputation for seeking money and seeking power. And so here is Paul standing before this couple, Felix and Drusilla. They hold his safety and his future, so to speak, 
in their hands. What will he do? Will he seek to appease this ruthless and greedy man, or will he stand on the truth? Well, of course he stood on the truth, but he did even more than that. He went after their consciences. That's why he spoke of righteousness, of self-control and the coming judgment. He addressed their unrighteousness and lack of self-control, and then he spoke to them of the coming judgment that was surely awaiting them if they did not flee to Jesus Christ. Look here with me at verse 24. It says, After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, the Greek has it here. He heard him speak about the faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is talking about the Christian faith rather than talking about the need for faith. I know he talked about the need for faith, but here he's talking about, um, in general, the Christian faith. And then under this head of the Christian faith, he sums up the Christian faith in terms of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Um, In verse 25, so if you'll look with me at verse 25, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So, he sums up the gospel in these unusual terms of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. The Bible speaks very directly of our need for, for righteousness and our utter lack of it outside of Jesus Christ. What is this standard of righteousness that we are to have? Well, the Bible says, well, Jesus himself says, Matthew 5, 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is the standard in which you must attain in order to be pleasing in God's eyes. Perfection. 1 Peter 1, 15 Peter says, be holy in all that you do. Not in some things, but in all that you do. Whether it be, now this is my commentary, whether it be your thinking, whether it be your words, whether it be your actions, whether it be the desires of your hearts. Be holy in all you do, Peter says, because your Father in heaven is holy. And then he quotes um, the Old Testament, Be holy, for I am holy. Again, that is the standard that God holds us to. Perfection. Holiness. Holy desires. Holy thoughts. Holy words. Holy actions. It is little wonder then that Paul tells us in Romans 3.10, There is none righteous No, not one. Now can you imagine Paul standing before Felix and Drusilla and pointing his finger at their marriage and saying, your marriage is unrighteous. And he's pointing his finger at their greedy and power-hungry desires and saying, your desires are unrighteous. And that you, in the depths of your souls, are unrighteous and unfit to stand before God and only deserving of the coming judgment. 
that must have taken some kind of courage. And it appears that that is exactly what he did. But as Paul points one finger at Felix and Drusilla, he points the other four at everybody else, including himself, including, uh, including us. There's none of us in this room that are in and of ourselves righteous before God. There is no one that is righteous. No, not one. We need God's righteousness if we are going to stand before God on that great day of judgment. And then he spoke about self-control. Well, Felix and Drusilla lived their lives with very little self-control. They took what they wanted by whatever means necessary. And again, Paul hit this head on. And I bet, again, I bet it was not an easy thing for Paul to confront them about their utter lack of self-control. The Bible says that we are to exercise self-control at all times. Self-control, you'll remember, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Peter tells his readers multiple times in First and Second Peter that they must exercise self-control since they are believers in the Lord Jesus. Especially because the world around them was so out of control. Again, it's very tempting for us because the world is out of control and we live in this world that is out of control to relax our self-control and let and go with the flow of the world. Paul told Timothy and Titus to watch out for false Christians. How do you recognize the false Christians? Paul said that they lacked self-control. So if you have no self-control, you are missing a fruit of the Spirit. If that is the case, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. The good news is, you flee to Him, and He by His Spirit will give you those, those, those fruits. And then He spoke to them of the coming judgment in verse 25. And I guarantee you, that Paul made it clear to Felix and Drusilla what their final destiny would be without Christ when they stand before him at the final judgment. And Paul's not being here vindictive or, 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 or trying to unnecessarily frighten them. Rather, he is trying to get them to face the reality of what it will be like to face God without Jesus Christ on that great and awesome day. And he is telling them that it will be perfectly horrible. How did Felix and Drusilla take this preaching? Well, Drusilla uh, completely rejected it. Verse 24, she's there. It points out that she was Jewish, but then she disappears from the text. She doesn't appear before him again. In other words, I believe that she completely and totally rejected his message. And Drusilla, if that is indeed the case, and she never fled to the Lord Jesus, she went to hell because of that. This was her opportunity, and she rejected it. What is there in this world 
that is so precious that any of us would choose anything that this world has to offer above Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2 says, If you love the world or anything in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What is there? Take a moment and think. What is there that is so precious in this world that you would choose it over Jesus? I guarantee you, her Jewish religion was not worth the price of her soul. And then there's Felix. How did he respond? His response was less decisive and less final. Verse 25, however, says, if you'll look at the text, it says Felix was alarmed. Actually, the Greek's a little more uh, strong here. Uh, he was He was frightened. And um, this is why I'm so confident that Paul was bold with him. If Paul wasn't bold with them, why would he have been frightened? Uh, But instead of fleeing to the Lord Jesus, he held the Lord Jesus at arm's length. He didn't completely reject Jesus. Rather, he told Paul, go away for now. I'll send for you when it's convenient. And uh, here's the thing. In sending Paul away... It did not change the truthfulness of what the Apostle Paul said. It's very tempting uh, for us to try and hide from God when we're not walking with Him. Very tempting to stay away from church or to refrain from reading the Bible. We think that God forgets us if we don't remember Him. I'm reminded of that passage in First or Second Timothy just comes to my mind all of a sudden. Um, God remains faithful even when we are faithless because He cannot deny Himself. He doesn't become forgetful when we take our eyes off of Him. Just because we're not looking at Him doesn't mean that He forgets about us. And so Felix... He's not completely rejecting. In fact, it says that he invited Paul to come and speak to him many other times. So he's willing to hear the message. But uh, the Bible says, it really gives us his motive. It says in verse 26, he was hoping that Paul would give him a bribe. Uh, The commentators speculate that because Paul had such money when he came to Jerusalem to give um, give this, this offering that maybe he still had some of this money and he could give some to Felix. So that is his motive. So essentially what he's doing is he's holding the Lord Jesus out at arm's length. Not completing, completely rejecting him like his, like his wife, um, but holding the Lord Jesus out uh, away from him nonetheless. What's the distance Uh, between heaven and hell. Well, the distance for Felix was basically the length of his arms as he held the Lord Jesus uh, out away from him. I want to quickly conclude here, first of all, by calling you, if you have not fled to the Lord Jesus, to flee to him. But secondly, I want to turn the message 
uh, very briefly to you who do trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you this question. Was it wise for Paul to pull no punches? Because what did it cost Paul to... Um, to, to be so bold to Felix and Drusilla? Well, the cost basically was that he was imprisoned for two years. Verse 27, When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. There he is, for two years languishing in prison. Notice up in verse 23 that he was not convicted of anything. Also, he was allowed frequent visitors. Why is that? Well, the Bible tells us there again in verse 27. Felix didn't want to upset the Jews um, by releasing Paul, but um, he knew that he could not falsely convict Paul since Paul was a Roman citizen. So, um, what he did was nothing. Um, Tacitus said that he had the mind of a slave. Um, I think that Felix had the mind of a politician because Felix did what was beneficial to to Felix rather than what was right or just. He just left Paul there. He didn't convict him, but he didn't release him. Reminds me of Joseph. Remember Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and then he was falsely accused of uh, trying to, um, to rape his master's wife, thrown into jail, and then God gave him the answer to these, these dreams and then the, the, uh, they forgot about him. He languished there for two years in jail. Um, it also reminded me of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11:35 through 40, uh, where it says, uh, "Some were tortured, refusing to accept the release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, uh, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised." since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Joseph suffered. The heroes of the faith suffered. Paul suffered. They all suffered for their faith, for their faithfulness. Are you willing to suffer for your faith? Are you willing to stand up for truth when it's going to be unpopular? Are you going to be willing, as the new year rolls over and we begin thinking about our taxes, to be honest on your taxes, even though other people are not? Are you willing to follow the Lord Jesus and bear the cost of your faith as you trust in Jesus? Let's pray together.
our Father and our God, we thank you that Paul was faithful, that Joseph was faithful, that these heroes of the faith that were mentioned in in Hebrews chapter 11 were faithful, because they are a great cloud of witnesses standing up in the, the stands cheering us along as we complete um, the race of faith. The sin that so easily entangles always seems to trip us up. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Father, I pray for these young people that I spoke to earlier. Help them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Father, for us, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. For others who are turning their gaze away from the Lord Jesus, who are hearing these words, but yet are unwilling to fully embrace Him, I pray that You would overcome their unwillingness and draw them to the Lord Jesus. Father, as we begin 2012, I pray that we would leave behind us a trail of fruitfulness as we walk faithfully with Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. We pray in His name. Amen.